Three Convos, the podcast, episode three, hanging out with Mookie Wilson. I might be the worst guy in the world to ask for advice about coming out of slump because I've never really actually had one, but I've been told. <laughs> I've been told. With Tom Savino, Keith Rad here at MCU Park, get ready for episode three. This is going to be a really good one. The legend, Mookie Wilson, will chat with Dom Savino, and I'll have a conversation with Jared Banner, the executive director of player development for the New York Mets. Dom, I know you had a lot of fun with this one. This podcast has been going really well so far. We've been hearing some great things, and now we're going to hear some even better things from a, an, a 1980s Mets legend, Mookie Wilson. Yeah, the new title for Mookie Wilson is Ambassador of the New York Mets. This may have been the most exciting, the funniest interview that I've done in my young career. It was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. We talked about the 82 Mets a little bit, his time in Brooklyn. He was a manager here a while ago. We talk about his relationship with the now late Bill Buckner, who passed away uh, a couple of uh, well, a couple of months ago now. Um, and we talk about... A, an infamous quote that has been linked to Mookie Wilson about how dinosaurs helped him get out of slumps. We talk about whether or not that quote is true. A lot of things come up in this interview. A really exciting one with one of the faces of the Mets, Mookie Wilson. All right, here we go. Dom and Mookie. Well, you never know who you're going to see when you come to MCU Park. Of course, the New York Mets City Field, just a couple of miles down the road in Queens. And so the Mets always have folks here at MCU Park. And this past weekend, we've had the pleasure of having the ambassador of the New York Mets and 86 Met, Mookie Wilson, joining us uh, on Coney Island for a couple of days. And he joins us now on Coney Convos, the podcast. Mookie, you were here as the manager back in 2005. You get to come back as the ambassador, the face of the New York Mets. Uh, what's it been like these last few days? Uh, it's been interesting. Um, I've always, always enjoyed coming over here to Brooklyn. The people are excited. Uh, so it's a baseball town, literally a baseball town. Um, but I love coming just to you know, get a, a look uh, at the young players that we have coming up. Most of them are uh, first-year signings. And so um, just give me a heads up. Although I don't have an official baseball title, um, I still enjoy coming through and batting practice and, and talking with the kids. But this is a lot of fun. Now, you were here in, in 2005, so you've got some of the experience being a minor league manager. What have you seen from these Cyclones, the 2019 Cyclones, over the two days you've been here? Well, the two days I've been here, I, I, I saw them would have the ability, you know, to come back and win ball game, which is a really good thing to see, but particularly young ball players, um, uh, They appear not to have that, that they give up attitude, and, and that's what you look for. You look for guys that's going to fight through the full game, the, all nine innings, and um, they were able to do that. Um, you still see them do things that you say, well, you know, stretch your head why they do that, but that's, they're young. They're young. Um, a lot of senior signers, you know, seniors, high, you know, college seniors, but um, this is pro ball, and it's a different environment for them. It's a good, different culture. And um, I, I see a lot of things that I like about this team. You know, I've only seen them for like two games now, but um, you can tell a lot from just in that brief moment so we've seen them. Like I mentioned, you were here as the skipper in 2005. What are some of the memories that you have from your, your full season on Coney Island? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, when you're managing, you're so wrapped up in the day-to-day activities that you don't get to enjoy a lot of what Brooklyn has to offer. Um, the fans were excited. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time signing autographs, um, and I, I think that that was more of an attraction than the actual team. Um, we, we didn't have a very good team that year, 
Um, but we had some good players that made it to, made it to the majors, so, so that was good. It was a lot, a lot of fun I'm managing here. Um, and like I tell everyone, this is probably the best Molly job in all of baseball. You know, and, and, and I love it. If things had been different, um, I probably would have stayed another couple of years. But um, things change. But this is a great job. It is a great job. I enjoyed it. Now, of course, when you go to City Field, you walk in, and everybody knows your face. I'm sure here at MCU Park, it's much of the same deal. Uh, what's kind of the, the reception like that you get at, here at MCU Park as one of the 86 Mets and a guy who's really iconic, an, an iconic face of the franchise? Well, believe it or not, um, people don't see me a lot when I come because um, I come early like, you know, like today. I come out early and I throw batting practice, and, you know, and we do some work in the outfield of, of base running or whatever. And the fans are not here yet. Um, so they don't get to see me a whole lot. And during the game, I don't sit in the stands a lot of times. I'm either in the dugout or I'll sit upstairs in the press box and stuff of that nature. So um, I, run, I meet a couple of fans, um, but I don't see a whole lot of them. I did do it once, and um, I didn't get to see a ball game. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I made that not to be a distraction. And people pay their money to come and see ball games, you know. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, they might like an autograph, but yeah, they want to see a ball game, and I just don't want to be that distraction. I remember a story last year. We had a pitcher here from the Boston area named Ryan McAuliffe. He met you in extended spring training, heard that your name was Mookie, mm-hmm. but didn't make the connection that you were the guy who beat <laughs> the Red Sox in 86. Do some of the, the Mets minor league ball players recognize you instantly, or do some of them just not know who you are? Well, uh, you know, I... I I don't know how to take it a lot of times, but um, they don't. They they really don't. I mean, I mean, you're talking kids. I mean, you know, shoot, I mean, this is what thirty something years ago, and this kind of kids what 20, 18, 19 years old. They don't know. And even although they've heard the the connection, they don't see the connection. You know, when I do meet them, but you know, after a while, um, it, it comes up in the conversation. So, but no, they don't recognize me initially. No. I think I remember him saying that he thought you were Mookie Betts' dad <laughs> before he realized you were Mookie Wilson, the guy who beat his Red Sox in the World Series in 86. Yeah. Well, I, I get a lot of that. I, I get a lot of that. It, it, it's fun, and it makes for great conversation once you get to know the kids. And I think a lot of kids are a little reluctant because they don't think it's professional, maybe, you know, to approach us and, and stuff like that. But I, when I'm speaking to them, I, I let them know that, hey, we're all in this thing together, you know, and I just I love having fun. I love no clowning with them. I, I love telling jokes about myself. I like to tell them how bad I messed up and still I made it. You know, just encourage them, hey, you don't have to be a 300 hit all the time to make it a fix. Talking with Mookie Wilson here on Coney Convos, the podcast. And Mookie, we've been talking about 86 and the Mets and the Sox in the World Series. Uh, sadly, a couple of months ago, we lost Bill Buckner, um, a guy that you are linked with forever. But I know you guys formed a relationship later in life. Tell me about that relationship. Well, you know, uh, uh, Buck and I, and that's what I always call him Buck. I call him by name, you know, Buck, how you doing? You know, we, we talk to each other sometimes two and three times a month. You know, he would call me if he's going on a fishing trip or something of that nature. Or if something's going on with his family, he would call me and we'd talk about it. And I'll, you know, I'll call him and then we'll ask him what he's going on. I am out here driving my truck now and I'll take a picture and I'll send it to him, you know. And we just had, the, we had a very cordial relationship Um that you know went outside of baseball and I think that was probably one of the most rewarding relationships I've ever had with anyone um, I spoke with him more than I did my teammates actually um, and I became as close to him as I did a lot of my teammates uh, uh, 
when he passed, David's pass was my fact was it was um Memorial Day. You know, on a Monday I was visiting my, my um niece in Atlanta and I thought someone was playing a joke with me when they called me and they did I care about it. And um I literally when I found out and confirmed that he actually had passed and my phone just started blowing off the hook. People just started calling, calling. I literally cut my phone off. I didn't want to talk to anyone uh, because it, it really hit me. And that's odd because I'm not an emotional person. Um, and my first thought was to me was, okay, now what do I do? You know, I mean, this is the guy that I've been, you know, traveling with for the past, what, 15 years, 20 years we've been together. And... Um, and I, I actually don't have that companion anymore. So, yeah, it, it, it was a shock. But um, there was a relationship that uh, I'm going to miss. And people find it hard to believe that we actually sit in the same room at the same hotel restaurant at the same bus plane. You know, people find it hard to believe. But um, he was a great man. He really, 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 really was. What was it about your personality and his personality that after a moment that was one of the pinnacles of your career and one of the, the worst of his career allowed you after that to become such great friends. And that's a really interesting way to put it because after 86, I really didn't speak with Buck until about 89, 90. Really didn't speak to him. Didn't say hello, didn't say anything because he, he went to the, um, he got traded and I got traded over to Toronto. He went over to Kansas City. And um, after, I guess, a month or two, we were in Kansas City. And I'm down there. I don't know if you've been to Kansas City, but the um, the batting cages is down the left field line, which is in their dugout zone, the right field line. So they had to walk across the field to get to the batting cages. So we're down there stretching, getting ready to do our warm-ups and, and, and batting practice. And I saw him coming across the field, and I tried everything in my power to be at the other end of the, the field when he comes by because I didn't know I didn't want to say anything. I didn't know what to say. And um, somehow or another, I ended up stretching or doing the line. So he walked by, and he stood over me, and he said, um, "Hey, Mook, you want to hit me some ground balls?" And from that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, we really be, you know, be, began talking and we became um, involved in people asking us to appear, you know, on shows and stuff together. And he was reluctant at first, but, you know, then we started talking and we said, you know, hey, you know, let, let's do it. And uh, from there, the rest of his history just blossomed. Mookie, before I let you go, there has been something that I've been wanting to ask you for months yeah. since I saw it on social media. Yeah. So back in 1986, yeah. The Village Voice, which is a, a print publication here in New York City, uh-huh. published an article titled Favorite Dinosaurs of the Mets. Mm-hmm. Now, your comments in this piece were very notable. Your comment, this is, this is a quote from The Village Voice <laughs> in 86. When I'm in a slump, I comfort myself by saying that if I believe in dinosaurs, then somewhere they must be believing in me. And if they believe in me, then I can believe in me. Then I bust out. You have told me this weekend that that quote and all the other quotes from your 86 Mets were false. Please give me this situation from your perspective. 
Well, first of all, I don't ever remember going to a slump. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know where that quote came from. Um, you know, I've, I've never spoken to anyone about slumps. I've never spoken to anyone, definitely never spoken to anyone about dinosaurs. <laughs> Although I, I am somewhat, you know, fascinated with the whole dinosaur thing. You know, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big Gon- Godzilla guy. I love Godzilla and T-Rex. I love all that stuff. Um, but it's not a, uh, it's not that I look. To me, that's a conversation you have with someone who's superstitious. I'm not superstitious. I have no superstition whatsoever. If I'm ever went a slump, which I never did, but if I did, <laughs> it was <laughs> it wasn't because of a lack of believing in myself. It was maybe something I didn't get enough sleep or something of that nature. But um, I don't know where that where that quote come from. But I I promise you that quote did not come from me. Um, and if I did, it must be must, must be a, a day game after night game or something. Uh, it might have been after that Houston game where we played Don Lozanic <laughs> or something. But um, no, that's that's not a quote that I that I gave. As far as the rest of the quotes, I can't speak for the other guys. I don't know what they said because you know we had a crazy team back then, so ain't no telling what was said. But I, I do know that 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 part of that whole article um, on dinosaurs from quoting for me was def- definitely false. Apparently, it was a satire piece that uh, the Village Voice put out. Very unfortunate to me, though, because I had hoped it was the real thing. But whether it includes dinosaurs or not, what would your advice be to a hitter who is in a slump? I know you've never had that experience Uh, personally. (laughs) But what would your advice be? They always say, though, if you want to, if a person that's an alcoholic, you talk to someone who has been an alcoholic. So I'm not be direct, I might be the worst guy in the world to, to ask for advice about coming out of slump since I've never really actually had one. But I've been told. <laughs> I've been told. Um, slumps is, uh, uh, is, is mental. It, it's all mental. You're the same guy. You're the same person that will go in three for four and two for four and four for four. What changed? The only thing normally changes you got to you usually get too comfortable and you start assuming that things are just going to happen and you just quit being consistent with what he was doing. So when you're not getting that hit, you figure something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. That's baseball. That's the way the game is played. So just, con- you know, just continue doing things that you did when you were successful, you know, and, and let the chips fall where they may because you've got them to understand the other team, they play nice well, you know. So um, slumps and... Um, there have been days when I didn't feel good, I, you know, and I've always go out and take a day at a time. Just do the best you can that day because sometimes your best is not going to be good enough no matter what you think. Mookie, this was so enjoyable. Mookie Wilson, 86 Met, now an ambassador for the New York Mets, joining us here on Coney Convos, the podcast. Mookie, thank you so much for a couple of minutes. Oh, thanks for having me. I wish we could do it again. Hope you enjoyed Dom's conversation with Mookie Wilson. As you heard Dom say earlier, one of his best interviews of all time, which is great to hear and hopefully more things to come on the podcast. Now an interview for those of you who are certainly more interested in uh, the minor league system and some of the new guys that Brody Van Wagenen brought over in the front office. And one of those guys is Jared Banner. Very young guy, graduated from Amherst and uh, came over from the Red Sox organization in the offseason he is in a new role, and we got a chance to talk to him during one of his stays here with the Cyclones. Keith Rat here in the dugout at MCU Park with the Executive Director of Player Development for the New York Mets, Jared Banner, a Brooklyn native and a proud bucket hat wearer. We love the bucket hat here. We saw pictures of it in uh, Port St. Lucie. 
And uh, give us a little insight on this bucket hat that you have perfected. Just trying to stay safe in the sun. That's all it is. <laughs> looking, looking pretty good. You are a Brooklyn native. Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like here? I grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and um, I love Brooklyn. It was an amazing experience growing up here. I'm glad to be back. What was what was childhood like? I mean, what was your baseball career like when you got it started? I spent a lot of time playing for the Bonnies at the parade grounds every every weekend, every weekday. So. That was that's what most of it was. You're super young to be in such a great spot in an organization. You've been in baseball for a long time. First job with the Sox was I believe in 06. Came over from Boston in the offseason and got started working here with the Mets. In your youth, how much have you you gathered in, in your baseball knowledge? I've been very fortunate to work for some unbelievable general managers. Um, Theo Epstein originally hired me, Ben Sherrington. Dave Dombrowski, all three of those guys have won World Series um, championships, and I was lucky to be a part of, of one with each. So I feel very fortunate. Other guys, Allard Baird, um, Mike Hayes is now the GM of the uh, Diamondbacks. These are all guys I was able to learn a lot from, uh, and I feel very grateful that I got such a great baseball education early on in my career. And you've traveled far and wide. When you were with the Sox, you were handling things internationally, Japan, and things like that. What was that experience like to branch out a little bit scouting really uh, allowed me to see the world I never envisioned myself being on a plane for 14 15 hours at a time but when duty calls you know you got to get out there and 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 do your best and I, I eventually um, you know became uh, enamored with some of the different cultures I was able to see and experience um, and I wouldn't trade that time for the world how would you describe your experience how would you look back I've had the chance to do a lot of different things. Um, I started in player development originally, went on to amateur scouting, did some international scouting. Um, I've had a good amount of pro scouting experience, advanced scouting experience, things of that nature, um, arbitration. So I, I've just been able to, to get my hands in a lot of things, um, and that's been great for my personal uh, and professional development. When did the game change for you as far as going from being on field when you played at Amherst to now being behind the scenes, off the field kind of thing? It changed when I, when I put that suit on for the first time. <laughs> I was out of uniform. I went straight from you know graduation. to I drove to Boston an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and it was an enlightening experience. It was professional baseball is a whole different game. And I was fortunate enough to be around a lot of great coaches uh, in the Boston player development system who taught me a lot, took me under their wing, um, and, and I appreciate them very much for that. When you jumped in there with Boston and you were so young, so impressionable, was there a moment or something that you heard that you said, wow, I, I never thought about that, this is amazing, we're going to do something big here, or was there an idea or philosophy that you never thought about that all of a sudden kind of enlightened you? Yes, every single day. <laughs> Can you give us at least one? <laughs> I can't give away the, the secrets, but um, I will say I think in this game you have to learn every day. You never know, um, you know, you never know it all. And it, for a long time I thought I did, even as a young guy. Um, and then this game will humble you and teach you a lot of lessons um, as you go through the ups and downs. We had years where we won championships. We also had years we finished in last place. We had epic collapses, all kinds of different um, things of that nature, and, it, and you grow from that. Um, so I, I think uh, I've seen a lot. <laughs> so jumping over now to the Mets organization and taking over this role of executive director of player development, 
what was your first thought going into this this job? I was really impressed with Brody. Um, obviously, I've known Allard for a long time, but also the other um, members of the front office here, um, and including our ownership group. Um, I was just really impressed with, um, you know, the organization as a whole and, and what we believed we could do with it moving forward. I hate to ask you what is the philosophy, but are there certain ideas of players and of how you move guys through the system that you can share that you want to do here with the Mets? Well, I treat every, every player in every situation on a case-by-case uh, basis. But, you know, I think the key for us is always being creative and innovative, putting the players first, focusing on, you know, being, being and finding great teachers to teach the game and, um, you know, put the right processes in place, the right infrastructure in place to help our players be the best they can be. With the scouting background that you've had, do you look at a player and say he has the tools we need, or do you look at his numbers and say, well, he's got a great on-base percentage, a great eye for the plate, let's get him some better teaching? I think both. I think some players are born with the natural tools, but they need a little bit of coaching on the finer points of the game. Other guys are you know, better performers but don't have some of the athletic gifts, um, and those are things you can work on as well. So uh, every player has different challenges. You know, we have 160-odd players uh, in the system, um, and we have different player plans uh, in place for each of them to help them grow, you know, fundamentally, mentally, and physically. Coming over from Boston, what, looking back, what were you most proud of that kind of when you sat down and, and maybe had conversations with the Mets that you really wanted to bring to the table here? I think I'm most proud of being a part of three world championship teams um it's very hard to win in this league and and to win championships um so to be to be able to have those experiences including just last season um i'm very grateful for that and when you are here in coney island did you come here as a kid did you ride the the cyclone did you get a nathan's hot dog absolutely you know what's funny is <laughs> my mom said she rode the cyclone while she was pregnant with me and I think I don't like roller coasters for that reason. So that's a little funny family story for you. Very interesting. I appreciate the time, Jared. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. So a look at old and new as we chatted with Mookie Wilson and Jared Banner. Fun episode, Dom. One that will make us laugh and one that will kind of set us up for the future of the Mets. Yeah, it was a fun one, a sad one, certainly hearing Mookie talk about Bill Buckner. I could see him getting emotional about it. A little upsetting knowing that the dinosaurs quote is not a real thing I was very upset to hear that um, but Mookie's response to it was very funny and all in all really fun episode 3 Coney Combos podcast is available in the Apple iTunes store just look up Coney Combos and we're available on Podbean see you next week